0: Welcome to Based Liberty. I'm your host, Darren Wisely. I'm not politically correct, and I'm not afraid of the consequences for the things I say. I'm simply here to speak the truth as I see it from where I'm standing, and let the chips fall where they may. Welcome to Based Liberty, fellow thought criminal. Welcome to Based Liberty, Episode 74. Darren Wisely here. Just a pleasure to be with you today. I know a lot of these episodes have seemed kind of like doom and gloom, but I'm not going to lie or sugarcoat things to you guys. The last year and a half has been just insane, and it's important to point out all the tyranny going on. And just like if you're operating on a cancer, you don't just go in there digging around. You have to identify the problem first, so that's what I've been doing. But I did mention having some episodes about what we actually can do today as one of them, So I have a very special guest for you guys, Tho Bishop, assistant editor at Mises Wire. I had the pleasure of meeting Tho last November at the Ron Paul Symposium in Texas, and he's going to give us some really valuable insight on a strategy for the right. I know what he had to say certainly inspired me, so hopefully you can get some good insight on what you can do so we can can start moving the needle on this insane tyranny we're under and start cutting back at this Leviathan. So let's just get right into it. So today I'm joined live from beautiful sunny Florida by the Florida man himself, former deputy communications director for the House Financial Services Committee, assistant editor for Mises Wire, host of Radio Rothbard and the all-new Redneck Riviera podcast, vice chair of Bay County GOP. He is the Archbishop of Florida, Tho Bishop. So well, Tho, thank thanks for, for coming
1: on. Thank for having me. Uh, excited to join, and I apologize for my lighting setup here. Uh, trying to get something a little bit better set up down the road, but uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to uh, glad to join the show.
0: It's all good, man. Just just happy to have you. Happy to have your insight. So, Tho, I love the work you're doing. Um, and uh, I brought you on today to primarily talk strategy, give listeners some insight. You really are, in my mind, the foremost authority on strategy for advancing liberty from the right, at least from a political perspective. Uh, But I wanted to touch on some background um, just to kind of give some context. What brought you to the Mises Institute? Can you talk about some of the work you've done with them?
1: Sure. Yeah, I've been, I mean, incredibly privileged to be a, you know, been on staff starting in early 2015. Uh, I came to, you, to, to work here because, first of all, you know, I was a big fan after the financial crisis. I was always someone interested in politics, but economics was kind of its own thing. You know, there was experts that were supposed to be in charge of that. And so, you know, I, I didn't really think much of it. And then all the experts were wrong. You know, we got the financial crisis because of Falchian levels of, of arrogance <laughs> and uh, mismanagement. And, and so that's when I kind of realized that, okay, well, we have to take this stuff seriously. Um, and the Austrian school always really stood out to me for a variety of reasons, um, uh, not the least of which is that it, it helps that you don't need a, a master's degree in math to, uh, to really engage with it. You know, it's a very logical science. Um, I think Murray Rothbard is, is one of the greatest American scholars and so entertaining with his writing, which you know obviously makes it easier to absorb. Henry Hazlitt's economic and one lesson if anyone in your audience hasn't read it yet, you can get a free copy, hardback copy, at Mises.org One Lesson. Um, you know, Hazlitt himself was kind of a self-taught economist. Um, his work is great. And so, you know, when I started engaging with economics, the more the Austrian school made sense. And I was very fortunate to be able to uh, get a position up in D.C. after the financial crisis, after the, after the Tea Party revolution in 2010. Um, where I was able to work for Spencer Backus, Congressman Spencer Backus uh, from Birmingham, Alabama. He took over as financial services chairman. Um, so that's how I got my job up there. I stayed there through um, Jeb Hinserling from Texas, who, who actually was was familiar with Mises, which was a big, I, I was very oh, yeah. G with. I'm not gonna say he's a perfect libertarian, but he was familiar with Mises. Okay. And and it's because of that, I got the job at the Institute because Jeff Dice was chief of staff in Ron's office. And I was right. always kind of a a, a mole in the larger committee for dr paul and then the Austrian school so that's that's kind of my background there and uh and i think one of the things that i'm trying to help like i don't have all the answers and everything but i, I do think i'm very um fortunate to have a a bit of you know washington perspective mm-hmm. of politics which really kind of makes you appreciate how dumb those people are <laughs> um I, my, my, my family's been long involved in politics my father was a, a one of the top political consultants of his day um my mom was, is as well. She's the chairman of the Bay County Republican Party right now. So I came from a very political family. And then I've also been, obviously, within the liberty movement, and particularly the Austrian libertarian movement. And I think there's a lot of very important asset, or, uh, insights that the Austrian school uniquely provides, not simply in economics, but in politics. And that's what I've been trying to build up from a theoretical groundwork and then putting it into practice here in Bay County.
0: Yeah, well, that's awesome. And I think kind of how you talk about the Austrian school providing a wider perspective I think with COVID, that's a classic example because people who view the world through that lens aren't just looking at, okay, the model says X, so then Y is the answer. So that's kind of when they're talking about the spread, the mask, all this data. I think we're a little more skeptical that, okay, maybe in the model it appears that way. That doesn't mean it works that way in the real world.
1: Well, that's one of the biggest issues that just goes so overlooked, in part because it's terrifying, when you understand the ramifications of it, it's just how intellectually corrupt and decrepit, uh, our, our, our experts are. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. and, and when you, in the Austrian school, I think really opens your eyes to it because mm-hmm. it's so vivid in the way that the economics profession became perverted by an evil satanic pedophile and John Maynard Keynes yeah. who distorted the profession, um, put in play, you know, help, help transform the, 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 the very positive econ- econometrics, uh, unrealistic, a uh, very uh, uh, ambitious sort of view on the role of, poli- of, of economists as being uh, a dictators of public policy rather than uh, opponents of government fiat policies. Like historically, economists played the role of government skeptic and Keynes perverted that into playing the role of government court jester or, or court court scholar. And, and that is when you recognize the corruption in the economic sphere and then now you see what i mean outside of like really like russia there's a few other perhaps but the central all the central banks think alike
0: mm-hmm. they
1: may be you know from from various parts of the world but they are they're, they're educated in the same ivy tower echo chambers right, right. And so there's is such a lack of intellectual diversity in the economic sphere which i think leads to us having such a fragile economic sphere in general particularly when you consider the incredible escalation the economic hedonism of central banks around the world this past decade in particular um though obviously it's the problem that goes far beyond that when you recognize that in corruption at the economic level it's be- it makes it easier to recognize like, "Hey, okay, falchi's a fraud mm-hmm. you know a- every time these people are justifying these grandiose powers to the state and presuming that they have some divine access to information that can allow them to properly manage society i don't care if it's in the name of fixing the economy i don't care if it's in the name of public health i don't care if it's in the name of global warming perhaps even increasingly, I don't care what's the name, of fighting space aliens, <laughs> that should be the red flag. And I think that the, the Austrian school, and, and, and this is where like the Ron Paul populism comes into, when you start really questioning the integrity and the underpinning intellectual foundations of the ruling elite, that's when you really sick sick the knife into something that matters. Because one of the things I think we've learned the past four years in particular is that you know, wash are, are the, the rules that govern us are not dictated by democracy at the federal level. They are dictated by a professional ruling class. Mm-hmm. And that is the issue. And, and when, when conservatives start really engaging with that structural issue rather than uh, the, these some of the silly games at the electoral level, that's when I think we have the ability of really making some changes that we desperately need.
0: Yeah. Hit hit the nail on the head there, people up there, they're they're charlatans. Um it's all theater. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. It's a so good thing. The good thing is that we have some good actors now. I mean, like, yeah. like, like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Green. like I'm not going to, you know, I, I probably agree on average, right? Uh, uh, John, uh, Justin Amash, right? Has mm-hmm. read more books that I think are important books, right? He's, he's a lot more intelligent, but he was useless as a congressman. Right. Whereas you have these great actors that they might not be, you know, along you know, allied with me 100% of the time, but they're questioning the narrative and exactly. they're, under, they're they're undercutting, Um, not only the relationship between average conservatives and the ruling elite, but also average conservatives in the leadership. Mm -hmm. Those are the battles that I think are the most, the the biggest issue right now. The the, the biggest threat to the American right in the short term is less the left, though they're obviously the, that that is, that is the larger enemy. The biggest threat though, is an incompetent Republican party. And unfortunately Uh, with a little bit of intrigue at the Trump era aside, that is what we have suffered as an American. That's what the conservative movement has suffered from, from decades now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I do want to touch on a, some more Republican Party specific stuff here. Um, but you love to touch on 90s Rothbard. You've been talking mm-hmm. all anytime I've listened to you. You've been talking about that, the paleo strategy. I find that really interesting because that was like, Before I was born, or when I was just Mm -hmm. so, you know, I'd be too young to remember, but it's very interesting. Um, Can you tell us what makes that especially appealing to you? And you talk about in the context of where we're at now.
1: Well, the paleo strategy is interesting because there's really two facets of it. For one, it it was an acknowledgement in the 90s that after the Cold War, you had kind of a fracture on the right between like the, the big. Uh, Cold War hawks that were never particularly uh, uh, passionate about capitalism, like an Irving Fisher or Irving uh, Crystal. Irving has um, this article, like two cheers for capitalism. You know, they they kind of wanted a, a, a you know, they never got serious, right, about repealing the New Deal, which was kind of mm-hmm. the formation of the, the the right in the ninth in the twentieth uh, century. Um, and so, what you had after the Cold War was the ability was was a, an opportunity on the right that did not exist during the peak of the Cold War, the tensions there. On the other side of it was a recognition that the libertarian movement, which really came into its own in the '70s, was a failure. That the ideas of liberal of liberty deserved better than the people that made up the libertarian movement. Um, the easiest characteristic, you know, embodiment of that is the LP, which has always been made up of, of I mean people that are not gonna persuade other people to just be nice about that. Um, and, and I think that what makes that period of history very interesting is that for one, obviously it was derailed after 9-11, right? The neoconservatives really yeah. took control of the Republican party again. The left, it can easily be argued was the lesser evil, but was obviously never going to bring up, you know, it was never gonna be our friends, but mm-hmm. like they, they, they were standing up against some of the, the, the really, the great atrocities of the Bush administration. The, tr- the Trump movement, I think, has created a reset both in the opportun for one, like the, the split, the destruction that Trump raged against the old Bush era Republican Party is great. It undercut a lot of the traditional institutions, such as, you know, the Heritage Foundation and the National Review. And, you know, I, I think there's a greater distrust of of conservative ink defined as you know, Washington, D.C. placed conservative thinkers. Then we went from having Sean Hannity railing against WikiLeaks, you know, and and, and, I mean, I think he even interviewed like Julian Assange. I wish there was more consistency from the Trump movement on, you know, the Assanges and the Snowdens, but still like that, that's a shift worth noting. Mm -hmm. And, and, And similarly, I also think that we have seen that the libertarian movement that was sparked by Ron Paul's presidential campaign, they're not in my view, the driving force of the Ron Paul presidential campaigns. Um, the result of that, the libertarian move, movement that emerged was a failure, um, best embodied by Rand's 2016 campaign. But it, it also just goes to, I think, there's been this, this, this group of libertarians that have been convinced that if only, um, yeah, that, that, that libertarianism has been held back because too many people think that we're racist because of our fixation in the civil war and, and our, our hostility to civil rights. And so if only we're out there and we're, we're, we're talking about how un-racist un- 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 we are, we focus on criminal justice stuff. I and mean, we basically show that you know, we give you the best of the social concerns, the justice concerns of the left, but with the uh, economics and respect for you know, the American re- Revolution of the right, that we can transcend both the left and the right. And, and you know once people see this, they're gonna see how obviously more intelligent we are, how much more moral we are, yada, yada, yada. Libertarians always assume that they're the smartest person in the room. The problem is I don't think this works Mm -hmm. Uh, because your average person does, isn't a libertarian. Your your, your average person has cultural views that that are not strictly political. And and so I think that just as in the nineties, they were seeing the inadequacies of the libertarian movement to be an effective vehicle for political liberty. What I think people have reckoned with on the libertarian side is recognizing the failures of the post 2012 Ron Paul campaign, and I think this is why you have seen so much debate over where libertarians should go next, whether it should be the LP, whether it should be appealing to the left, which is in some circles, whether it is withdrawing from politics entirely, or some of, or, or my more right wing populist approach. Um, which again I, it's, it's nothing unique to me I and mean, the, the great thing is that you know i'm building off of the shoulders of giants like lou rockwell and murray rothbard yep. and jeff dice and tom woods and a lot of people in that that orbit so but i, but I, I think there's some parallels there uh that exist now that also happened in the 90s and what's interesting is that in, and i think the roots of this really go back to the old right even which is kind of its own intellectual tradition so yeah. again it's, it's, it's there's a lot of different layers here and i think what's great is that it provides a strong theoretical foundation to then build application Um, because we're not having to system build entirely, right? We, we, We can be humble enough saying smarter people have figured out a lot of the important issues. We're just trying to apply it in the world that we see it today.
0: Yeah. And I think the big downfall about appealing to the left is, you know, it's all or nothing with them. You can give them a little bit, try to compromise. And we see it from kind of the establishment GOP as well. Hey, we'll give you this. Can you give us something? And then they just turn around and then they want more. It's-
1: I mean, it, it's kind of a tragic i'm sure you've you've felt this i mean there's a lot of friends that i've had that were always center left but you know we you know, politics never divided us i mean we, we mm-hmm. kind of knew what topics to avoid in the last couple of years i mean i've lost many friends i mean i've, I've had family members accusing me of being every you know, nasty name in the book and and you know it's we're living in a world of hyper polarization and that's what i don't think libertarians appreciate because so often they view understandably so uh, that the tribal nature of politics is irrational, but the problem is is that human beings are not purely rational creatures. Right. Right. What well, tribalism matters. Um and so this is the world we live in. And and I don't see you know as, as so long as we continue this path of centralizing power and the stakes being rise, raised higher and higher and the breakdown of political norms, which have always been the moderating vehicle in federal power. It's not been the Constitution. It's been you know, the filibuster and these unwritten political norms that are fraying apart as we yeah, every day. Um, you know, I, I don't think that we can pretend to be above left and right. You know, pick a side, commit to that side, and be a part of that side and engage with it honestly and with a degree of humility, rather than acting like you have all the answers. Because, I, I you know, I don't think that's I don't think anyone out there in the libertarian sphere has all the answers.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. So w- with this approach um, on the right. You know people in your circles um you know some of the people like you said, Lou Rockwell, he was obviously around back then the Mises circles are they pretty receptive to this approach are they optimistic or
1: well there's you know the the, the institute is is you know I, I think prides itself in being a a anti political think tank right um and and that's that's part of the charm of it i mean I do think that there is yeah, you know, there's always been a long-standing appreciation I think for that old right tradition within the scholarship that the institute's promoted and I also think that what I've been trying to focus on is as much highlighting I think some of the unique aspects of austro-libertarian political thought and and rather and and, and I think there has been some some strong reception to that like I, I think that austro-libertarian political thought makes a lot more sense when you recognize that Mises was always to the right of Rothbard and like 90s Rothbard, where he's writing like nations by consent, is really him at his most recession. And like Ryan, Ryan McMakin, um, you know, our, our editor, he wrote a wonderful article a few years ago where he's trying to bridge the gap between like the, the ANCAP libertarians and sort of like the nemesis the, the self-democracy you know, as, as national self-determination model. And like there, there really is a lot of common ground there. And so I, you know, I, I think that, you know, I'm not gonna say that uh, I've got a bunch of people registering Republican at the Mises Institute, but sure. I think that there's an appreciation for the seriousness of of you know the analysis that I'm trying to lay out and, and again trying to complement um you know the scholars that uh, are, you know that's that's our mission is promoting.
0: Cool, cool. So as we touched on, you're active in the Bay County GOP. Um you said vice chair vice chair, correct? Yep. And um can you tell us like about your involvement? How are things going down there?
1: Oh, it's it's great. I mean, I think that we have established ourselves as the Trumpiest county party in Florida. Um, we've done that. I mean, I, I think we were the first wreck in the country, and I, I think there's been some that's followed up, uh, but we declared Joe Biden to be um, uh, uh, president-imposed. Until, oh, I remember that, yeah. Until <laughs> the, que- co- the questions that were out there about the conduct of the election were given proper Due process, and obviously we never saw this right. We, we, those those questions that were relevant on January fifth have never been addressed. And historically, whenever there's been a contested election, there's been a commission. You know, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley both called for it. It was treated like a, an extremist position. It's that again, historically, this is normal. Um, so we've had. I've had a lot of fun recognizing what are the tools that exist within a county party. How can we take advantage of the moment to really set ourselves apart? And most importantly, how do we make sure that the Republicans in Bay County, which is a plus 43 Trump area, Trump was the most popular presidential candidate in Bay County history. How does your average Bay County Republican voter, you know, how, how do we make sure that they feel represented by their county party? And that's why we've been trying to sound like them as much as possible. And i think that there's appreciation for that in our community for doing so and i think that's been one of the biggest issues is that you have a lot of people that that are in leadership positions in the gop that do not sound like your average republican voter right and i definitely know that at the federal level most of your republican staffers uh, if, if not are dismissive of your average republican voter actively despise your average mm-hmm. republican voter and that has to change
0: yeah absolutely and that's what's interesting um, it sounds your county sounds a lot like mine up here in Michigan. Um, I We were either first or tied for first for most uh, Trump votes by percentage. Um, but we took over in January. We've grown the party by 300 percent. Before that, it was kind of just old country club, you know, social group, 12 people showing up to bicker about something stupid. But now we have, you know, grassroots really involved. And I think that's one of the, the big changes that's come about the last few years that's really good you know when when we call someone a neocon like that's an ultimate smear you know you wouldn't have you wouldn't have heard that you know five six years ago so that's a great development and people are skeptical of the establishment and just like you said i agree i think party leadership and um, a lot of the politicians in power in the republican party are our worst enemies because they want to stop the momentum
1: and and that's what the things what what Trump did, and that's why like, like you'll have libertarians critique Trump, and it's like you guys are missing it. Mm-hmm. You know, politics. It, it, it the Austrian school was was founded by the idea that you know economic value is subjective, right? You know, mm-hmm. two, two, two consumers can look the same good, and it's, it might matter. It might have more value to one person than the other. The same thing is true in politics, right? The, the value of a political leader is not in who they are. It is what do the voters see they you see you know, see them as mm. and sometimes it can be bad right sometimes right. you can have people you, you can have voters you know have faith in a person that doesn't deserve it but but i think trump he overperformed any expectation i had uh because like obviously there's there's, there's a lot of of victories that i think were, were left on the sidelines there's a lot of things that man if only you know if, if i was in charge i would have done it. it's like okay fine but i would never be in charge right like right. it, it the, the sort of person that could make waves, like, I mean, Ram Paul was never going to do it. He didn't have the personality. Donald Trump did. And we're very fortunate that he was as good as he was because he could have been much worse, right? I mean, right. he could have been a moderate Democrat governing, right? And and, the, and again, the impact that it had on the base and the way that it got your average Republican to recognize who the enemy was. Because that, that's one of the, Donald Trump's best assets is that he always had the best v- enemies, and right. particularly as libertarians i mean the neocons the liz cheneys the the the, the corporate press the the the, the ruling elite etc 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 all of donald trump's enemies were our enemies and so that means that donald trump's allies are, you know we, we can work alongside them and, and again any libertarian that sees the environment we live in and doesn't recognize this as your average boomer republican is more radical than your average libertarian yeah and like that's something we have to take advantage of
0: absolutely yeah and And that's what i i agree a hundred percent is you know it's if you have a disease the first first step is pointing it out and identifying it and in we haven't been able to do that for so long on on a large scale now that we can we can move forward you know we can run people who do share our values or are a lot closer to them who want to fight the establishment who wanna turn things around and obviously there's a lot of resistance from the establishment um they kind of smear us and paint us as you know these backwards hicks or whatever but are do you get some resistance from the establishment down hey, there
1: yeah. i've got this one lady uh she's our state committee woman um she won election she, she won it's an elected position she won it because she, she lied to her, her campaign like, and she's a classic jeb bush republican mm-hmm. she hates me oh i should despise i <laughs> should despise that because like what they're rec- what, what these people recognize is that they've lost their party the right. party that 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 they love doesn't exist. Donald Trump mm-hmm. killed it. It's wonderful. I mean, here in Florida, it's a great example because, like, in 2018, if you were involved in Republican politics at all, like, I mean, like 95 percent of the the Florida Republican you know, body um, w- uh, knew that Adam Putnam was going to be the Republican nominee uh, because you know, he he had spent his entire adult life running for governor. True. Right. I mean, I think he has got elected to the state house when he was you know 18. He became a congressman when he was in a, you know as soon as possible right it was awful He was a bush era guy voted for every war voted for every spending mm-hmm. bill voted to bulb, ban light bulbs voted for cash for clunkers which is like, was an iq test in some respects and and three trump tweets and the guy just gets destroyed by a congressman without any statewide base and like that's that's that, that was that's that's the best election moment now, that, that in some ways was even better than well, okay I, nothing was better than, than election night 2016. that was just so good <laughs> But that was that's the most important political uh, campaign that nobody, that, 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 that gets overlooked. Because right. that, that was three Trump tweets destroyed. Uh, DeSantis won by 20 percentage points. And without that's those tweets, there's no DeSantis. And right. I think DeSantis is, I mean, I'm obviously biased, but I think that he is the best leader, uh, Republican leader in the country, not only because, is he better than average on policy? Not perfect, fine, better than average on policy. But more importantly, though, he seems to be one of the few people that recognizes where the institutions of power really lie mm-hmm. and has been seen to, to be relishing and going after them. And that's something we need more of on the right.
0: Absolutely. And same thing here, obviously follow DeSantis, love that he's kept your state open and you know, we have Whitmer, which yeah, I, I don't like need to contrasting
1: governors right there. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I don't need to give you an introduction what's going on up here, but you know, we're looking at 2022 and who who can be a strong contender to fighter and You know, we've had different people come into our party and speak. And what I tell the candidates is, you know, I don't need to agree with you 100 percent on policy. I want someone who has balls to go up there and fight the establishment and not bow down to the Democrats. And, you know, just like this, if they're trying to lock down again or do vaccine passports, any of that, I want someone who's not going to. Oh, you're a racist. You're killing people. Okay, fine. No, I want someone to say this is what it is. This is what we're doing. Get over it. And if you can be that person, you got my vote.
1: You you need like, if you're going to be effective on the right, they're going to personally destroy you. Yes, and so and, and a lot of people aren't aren't ready for that. A lot yes. of people, especially at the state level, are, they they they're not interested in that. Mm-hmm. And so when you like like you know again I, I you know it's it's you have to recognize what the left is and be willing to take on take those arrows. And like you know, and and that's that's you know, the, the the exciting thing is is that you know the, the old attacks I don't think work anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and that's you know it's it's that's what's going to you know, the, 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 your average Republican has to recognize these things. And again, I think they are I, how, it, up in Michigan. Do you think that how is the public view on the lockdowns given how things have changed rhetorically? I mean, because Whitner was still very was still his polling. I mean, take that for what its worth. Polling probably popular. I know at the end of last year. Do you think there's been any shift in in terms of backlash to, to last year?
0: Yeah, I'd definitely say so. I mean, it's really hard because my sample size in Hillsdale, you know, being so rural, right. I mean, people have been against that from day one. Right. Um, but, you know, a couple months ago, um, like when I'd be in Lansing, places like that, you know, I'd be the only one not wearing a mask in, say a Kroger or something. So I hope things have changed, you know, since then. I haven't been out of the area too much since like the Fauci email stuff come out. But I do think a lot more people now that summer's here, they want to do things that, you know, cause Michigan, it's so cold in the winter. So you might leave real quick, right. people throw their mask on, it's whatever, but now it's like, okay, people want to do things. Right. So now that it affects their everyday life, now they're going to be more resistant and it's less ideological. Right.
1: And that's what like, one of the, one of the things that, that you know, I, I think as, as, as devastating and then the problem is like, I mean, I, I do foresee a whole lot of pain. Mm -hmm. The consequences of shutting down a global economy, like we still haven't fully baked those in, Um, the consequences again of, you know, 10 plus years of economic hedonism by a failed technocratic Fed, Um, the consequences of decades of federal malpractice from both parties, right, I mean, there there are real costs to Mm -hmm. these failures, and we haven't absorbed them yet, and so I think there's going to be a lot of real pain. Um, going forward, the good thing is the the, the uplifting thing or the, the the silver lining. Let me put it that way. It's hmm. perhaps the most sober analysis of that. Is like, I I've been convinced that every time it's a little bit different now that you've gotten the okay, but like every person who took off a mask before being told it was okay is radical, <laughs> right? It's it, we, we they, they created these little gestures of rebellion, yeah. And and I think you again you know, I I'm my environment is, I was in a bubble, right? I mean I, I had Ronda Sanders's covid laws combined with a culture that was always very reluctant to the mask and was kind of very southern um in that good old redneck riviera um so i look i was living in perhaps you know the freest part of the country as a mixture of the cultural norms and the government laws um but i, I do I, I mean i i was hearing around where people were like the, people got tired of it and i think when you now mix that with the inflationary aspect mean, like, inflation has always been a particularly powerful political weapon against those in power and let's be that's you know biden's but you know this is this biden has always has obviously played a role in the physical mismanagement of this country but you know there's a lot of stuff baked in there right i mean he's the one that's got got got, kind of been caught with the hot potato but it doesn't matter And, and because inflation is something that your average citizen feels every day right and and when they start recognizing that pain, like I, I think there's a very good tra- chance that Trump is going to be the most popular leader in the world in 2024, because things are going to be much worse than they were in 2019. Mm-hmm. So he's gonna have sort of nostalgic glasses, which are always very powerful, right? I, mean, I think that right. helped Biden was, there was nostalgic glasses about the Obama era because people got so tired of, of you know, the cable news, Trump right. fame frenzy, right? And, and I think that once Trump, like there's so many things that Trump's been right about and the media canceled him for, and they're going to be like, oh, remember the good old days of 2019? Like that as him as, as Trump as countercultural weapon, which is always him at his best. I think there's going to be another revival of that going forward. And, and, and again, the scary thing is that Trump's team can make re- really bad decisions. Like you know, the people around Trump have been very reckless at times with the way they use the trump banner but i think that's also something that kind of changes this environment in ways that create very interesting opportunities for those willing to use them
0: oh i haven't thought about that that'll be a really interesting phenomenon you know to look for the kind of the nostalgia looking back um so yeah in terms of like moving the party forward um i have a lot of people who are kind of just i guess normies or what have you and they you know and we criticize the establishment types Mm -hmm. and neocons and what they're pushing and they'll say oh we all need to work together to fight the democrats and you know i'm sure you hear this a lot and it's like no these people aren't helping us they're enabling them and i always find it interesting when people will try to throw well i voted republican for 40 years or 50 years and i'm like then how have you not learned right Right. (laughs) it just doesn't make any sense to me but you know the we have to take it over i'll give you a great example So we have a like a fall. Are you familiar with the Mackinac Policy Center? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a Republican conference up there and uh, in the fall. And one of the speakers, you know, I was on a Zoom thing because I'm the chair, you know, all the chairs. And uh, one of the speakers are like is um, Mike Pence. And I'm like, everybody hates Mike Pence. Like, you know, like even super you know culturally conservative people after the kind of betrayal of trump they they hate mike pence but it just shows kind of how out of touch they are and i think it's kind of a gesture to kind of move back in that you know decency respectable kind of establishment position
1: no i absolutely there's still people that that they haven't like i mean it's the same people that that will like talk about oh we should be like Nikki haley to to something like there's Mm -hmm. a a uh the good thing though, is that be, it's, it's precisely because they're so out of touch that provides us with such a great opportunity mm-hmm. because all you have to do, like, you know, if, if, you know, so, so within sort of like a, a county party level, right. Cause I, I've had a lot of people ask about a strategy. It's like, look, like all you have to do is show up and sound the most like Trump in your group. And like the people are going to to gravitate to you. And if, and if the current makeup of like your rec isn't MAGA is not America first already, then that's where you start using social like social media and and, and local community and, and, and envi- meet platforms to put the call out that hey look if you care uh, you know if you're a Trump Republican help us make this a Trump Republican party, right? And and so so Eric counties like yours and mine which are very solid you know, Republican very solid Trump, you know we should be using you know we should be doing everything we can to organize that Trump vote to recognize that we deserve better mm-hmm. so many of the republicans of the old age the pre-trump era have let us down and we should we deserve better like we you know every i get I, you know, I i live here in second congressional district neil dunn's my congressman he's not the worst congressman but he's also he's not a trump congressman mm-hmm. and and so like your, your average bay county voter i think feels more represented by matt gates doing matt gates things than I do by neil dunn Right. And so then, you know, so you, you start asking people like, well, why don't we deserve our own Matt Gates? Yeah. And, and like that's all things so you have to get people to think locally. They, it, it's so easy to get distracted by the big personalities of national media. Yes. You, 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 but you need to be focused on your congressman you need to be focused on your state rep, your, your state senator, and then also holding your own local bodies accountable. Because I know one of the biggest issues that we have here is that, you know, we've, we're, we're a big tourist economy. Uh, our, our the Panama City Beach as a municipality doesn't sound very trumpy in spite of the fact that Panama City Beach votes like the rest of the county. And I'm convinced that a big part of it is that a lot of these local areas, municipal leaders are afraid of sounding like their constituents because they all have this fantasy that they're gonna lure that one big corporation to come you know move uh, their headquarters here. And so like if, if you're a state house member, and your biggest donor is Disney, which makes it very clear how they feel. You know who has made it very clear how they feel about the Trump election, how they feel about culture war issues. Right. How many state reps are willing to tell their big donor that they're not going to bend their, to their will? I know in Florida, there's a lot of them not, that aren't. Right. right. There, there was there was this really bad crony carve out in the big tech law here, and it was like it was a carve out for like Universal Studios in Disney Disney World, and it's like. I'm sorry. That's this, this was the most vulgar corporate cutout possible. And it's because you still have a lot of Republicans so addicted to corporate money. And, and that's one of those things where you recognize the institutional weaknesses that have plagued the right. You get serious about those things. That's the best way of trying to create a American right. That's that can actually stand up to the right, to the left in the future.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. We have the same thing here. Like consumers energy is a big one. Um, So that's kind of what I, wanted to uh, close up on is um, what you're saying in terms of like these county parties, you know, what can we do? You, I think you touched on it mostly, but you know, what can we do to, to move the needle here? And would you say it's organizing behind candidates who actually share the values?
1: I think whenever possible. Abs- absolutely. I think one of the things is utilizing um, your social media in a way that is interesting uh, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've been trying to work a lot of Tucker Carlson sort of stuff, stuff, the revolver news or sort of stuff, you know, it's, it's great because you can kind of uh, piggyback off of Twitter. There's a lot of, I you know, a lot of people in communities use Facebook over Twitter. And so you can kind of leverage some of that content out there. And, and right. I've been trying to do that. Um, so that helps in changing the way that the party sounds is important. Um, then I think it is getting your, your members in a county to recognize that politics is local. And so you need to have Republicans have, you know, you, it doesn't have to be the entire party, right? But you need right. to be uh, regular figures at city government meetings. You need to have, you, you you need to make your politicians recognize that they need to engage and respect. And, and, and this, this some of this might be normal in a lot of areas. I know we, we've been pushing back because there's a lot of, there's been a lot of powerful interests that have made our local party uh, irrelevant mm-hmm. in the past, and it's because when you're in such a heavy red district, you're not really worried about the Democrat, right, so like and so if you're a local politician, you care more about what say the con the local contractor pack thinks because they have are going to finance your campaign, rather than what your local party wants and so what you need to do is use the flag of Trump. And rattlesaber and and, 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 and and you know starts identifying okay who are your America first MAGA Republicans and who mm-hmm. aren't, right? And and you you need to either be respected or feared um, by Republican candidates by Republican politicians in your area depending on how they fall on the Trump question, and and then um, you know being again a state like Michigan you know being you pushing your 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 state house members in ways to make them. The radical opposition to a tyrannical governor. Right. Um, but, but obviously, that's going to be that, that. You know, strategies that work here in Florida are not going to carry everywhere. There's, there's a lot of, you know, that's the whole thing. Is so you have to know your district. You have to know your area. Yep. Um, and and there's there's no there's nothing that is a better. Uh, education than simply actually engaging with your fellow republicans and that's why you know what what you're doing is great i i, I i'm always excited when I, when I when people reach out to me online saying that you know, they've joined the wreck. there you, you can't simply be online talking to your own little clique right, right? And this is something that that's so pervasive in the liberty movement you need to talk to your neighbors right you know you you an online libertarian ghetto is useless right What matters a lot more is the opinion of your neighbors and and your your community groups and and the more and and the the, the encouraging thing. And and also one of the things is is if you if you then have a specialty as well, like if if you just learn the bare basics, if, if you read economics in one lesson or you read what has government done to our money and you have a bit of an intellectual depth to like the inflation question, when that topic becomes more and more prevalent, then all of a sudden, no matter w- what standing you have officially in your party, if you can be seen as the expert that better understands this issue than the majority of the group, then you build your social capital. Right. And then you, you build a reputation and people start respecting you for your own merit. Yeah. And that's what we need to be encouraging is, you know, we, we need people at the local level that are respectable. And, and so that's yeah. what I'm, you know, so, so that's some of the stuff we're trying to do is, you know, try to try to put stuff, stuff out there and engage with people that, that are looking, seriously looking at the questions of, uh, you know, how do we make America right now better than it has been?
0: Yeah, that's great. And I think you really hit the hit. What's, what's going on in Hillsdale County perfectly there being so red, you know, you don't even think about checking that Democrat box, right? If you're running for office, it's all Republicans. So, you know, people are complacent. And if you look at our county government, it's far more left-wing than the people. I mean, pre- you know, pretty much, I'd say half the county commissioners, would be mainline Democrats, you know, mm-hmm. in a, in a purple area. So what we're trying to do is we're building up for that 2022 mm-hmm. and trying to, you know, use our resources. Cause that's where we can, in a County level election, right. Use that, knock doors, call people. Yep. It doesn't take the kind of funds that a national or, or state election uh, would require.
1: And one of the things I think it's, it's a, it's a cheap technique, but I think it's very effective. So, you know, when, when the left has political power, they use every lever they can Mm-hmm. Um, to to promote their agenda, if every any county that is a you know, plus twenty, plus thirty, plus forty Trump district, you should try to force somewhere force someone in your county to name something after Trump. Mm. Because it, it pushes the it pushes the the then they have to go on the record one way or another. And if they vote against it, then that gives you your battle, right? Yeah, because because that, that 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 because the key is because the problem is most people are never going to pay attention to municipal government. They should that's mm-hmm. one of the failings of American civics is that we get so fixated on you know, like, oh, well, the, the, you know, it's the-, the It's what's the on checks TV. checks and balances, <laughs> yeah, yeah, legislature. And uh. so, no, like the checks and balances are is state power versus federal power. And it, it's and federalism is the key to the entire arrangement. And so whenever you can take, you, you can make a local issue resonate from that national base, that's when you have something interesting. Uh, and so like, that's why like you're doing the Trump boat parades and these big rally things. We're, we're doing a pop-up like, uh, panhandle for DeSantis rallies around here and there's a couple cool. you know a couple and, and the great thing is that if you can if you can learn the one of the things that I think has been underappreciated has gone out of style is the old school political talent of rhetoric and, and oratory performance mm-hmm. and this is kind of being revived with that 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 was what Trump was right that that's right. what those Trump rallies were it was old school oratory politics yeah and and that's what Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates are capturing, right? Oh. And so if you can find a few people in your audience that can give a high, sc- you know, a, a, a junior varsity ver- version of the of the America First rallies, yeah, and you can make that as regular content. You go travel around, and maybe you cr- you you create some cheap bumper stickers that are like America First or whatever, yeah, and and then you make it entertaining because people are from now on the right. We are used to politics being fun mm-hmm. and entertaining, right? So you right. keep the party going that I think that's one of the ways that you can really blindside old school Republicans that are still stuck in those, those country clubs. Right. Yeah. That's and great. So just get, it, it, There's nothing more dangerous on the right than people having fun. Yeah. And that's what we have to build up to.
0: Yeah. I love that. That's great. Are you, are you working with some of the other County parties?
1: Um, not officially. I, I need to kind of, I need to system build. I, I need to start creating these, these networks. Um, there's a group called Republicans for National Renewal, which I've, 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 I've known some of the people, people involved from years from the Ron Paul forum days. Mm-hmm. They're trying to do some stuff on that end. Uh, but I, I need to kind of start building this stuff up more systemically. Um, and the, the fun thing is that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this from, yeah, you know, I've, I've got the kind of the grassroots local stuff. I've got my more national philo- philosophical aspect. I've got mm-hmm. my very my big focus on state politics in particular. And, and so I'm, I'm looking at it from a variety of different ways and I need to be able I, I, I need to be able to, to better synthesize all these things. Yeah, so that's something I'm working on, I'm throwing a lot, of, a lot of stuff out there, but what's been really encouraging is the response from people like you and a lot of other people that are recognizing the opportunity that this moment exists, because it'd be such a, a devastating mistake if people like us don't seriously engage with this moment, because I yeah. really think that this is the best chance we've had to overturn some of the excesses and then the most evil aspects of the American empire than maybe since, you know, 1940s, 1930s. I mean, this is, sure. this is a unique aspect in American history.
0: Yeah, and that's encouraging that we have this opportunity. Um, you know, with us, since we we censured our, you know, the most powerful Republican in the state and Fantastic. our congressmen. So, yeah, we've had, so we've had other, you know, real red uh, county parties reach out to us, ask us for advice. Um uh, I haven't personally, but some of our other officers have gone to some of their meetings. So we're we're building kind of that coalition because the state party we can't trust, right? They're they're all old guard. Right. So if you do start coming up with some ideas there, you know, yeah. shoot me a message or something because I'd be yeah. interested to see how how we because we have a lot of good contacts, but right. we're just not sure how to utilize
1: it at this point. Right? Yeah, no, I, I'd love to talk more and, and 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 kind of work out and and, and trade ideas and experiences because it's sure. a whole learning experience. Yeah. You know, that, that's 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 the great thing is there's a lot of new things on the table right now that give us new things to, to, to take advantage of and you know, you know we're, we're in this fight together but if not us who and right. I think, you know i, I uh, one of one of my most controversial uh views in libertarian world is i'm a, I'm a big admirer of Alexander Hamilton like his political oh, views yeah? I'm not going to defend but like that story was really what resonated me getting serious about a lot of this stuff and once you appreciate how much history can be driven by a few determined people with a little creativity and a little bit of talent, it makes all the you know the, the obstacles that we have are massive. You know we are fighting one of the most important battles in human history against you sure. know, a, a leviathan state, but it's been done before and we can do mm-hmm. it again. We just can never get you know allow ourselves to feel overwhelmed, and we need to take advantage of the strengths that we have and live up to the moment. And that's yeah. that's what we got to do.
0: Oh, I'm getting chills there. That's uh that's good stuff. So hey, tho, I want to respect your time. Um, so I'll let you go. But um, I know I'll plug your Twitter handle in the show notes. Do you wanna touch on Rothbard Rockwell?
1: Yeah, so so Rothbard Rockwell Report.com is uh it's a, currently a substack, but I'm I'm publishing some of the old 90s paleo-libertarian literature, which you know it's it, you, you read it and then you can hear it coming out of the voice of Tucker yeah. Carlson. There's so much overlap there. Um, and so that's that's that project there. And um, Rothbard, uh, Radio Rothbard is, is a Mises Institute podcast. Where we got some political stuff. It's more it's, it's more Austro-Libertarian focused. Um, and then, uh, yes, yeah, so those are some of the projects that, that are going on. And uh, if, if you're interested in learning more about economics in general, again, Mises.org yep. is one of the best spots out there.
0: OK, well, I'll make sure to put all that in the show notes. Hey, tho thanks a lot for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Some great insight today.
1: So, thank you for having me, and I hope for maybe we can do this again in the future. All right, sounds good. All right, later, man. What is democracy? What is democracy?
0: It's got something to do with young men killing each other? Aren't it? When it comes to my turn, will you want me like to go? For democracy, any man would give his only begotten son. <laughs>